Blog Talk Radio. All the spot analysis. Am I crazy? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Are we on a podcast? Yeah. I, I think I'm going to come get some. If you want some, come. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get some. My Appreciate favorite, it. though. Am I? You're my favorite. Well, thank you yeah. so much. I, I think not. Put me on the e-meter and ask me a question and the needle would float. The mother of the edition. Today with Mary Khan, part one of Mary Khan. Uh, she's very well spoken. She's a very cool lady, and I was very happy to have her on the show and speak to her about her 40 years of experience in Scientology. It's a very interesting and enlightening conversation. But before we get to part one of Mary Khan, I would like to address the donkey punching DJ in the room. I'm talking about Sir Rapes a lot, allegedly, Danny Masterson now. I said yesterday on the show, I said I'll talk about this today, and that it would be irresponsible and um, and just, just really not correct of me to sit here and say definitively, Danny Masterson raped three women, and he's a rapist. I'm not going to do that, but I can give my opinion on it, right? And I do have a very strong opinion on this, and my opinion is it doesn't really look good for Mr. Masterson or Scientology or even the LAPD um, as released um, – this whole story released on the Underground Bunker by Tony Ortega last week uh, that a woman had emailed, I believe, uh, Leah Remini's Hushmail site uh, email uh, talking about how she was raped by Danny Masterson. And Leah was like, what? You know, report this. You got to report this, which only makes sense. Uh, so uh, this gets reported. Uh, two other women come forward uh, from what I understand. Um there was some concern over if the LAPD would be compromised, as uh, as Leah would have pointed out to uh, Detective Reyes, that in the past, uh, police officers have been compromised by Scientology. We won't get to the story. You all know the story. She tried to find out what happened to Shelly. The officer wouldn't talk to her about it and then spoke at a Scientology engagement the next week. So that kind of, along those lines. And then what happens next is very strange to me with this woman coming forward and these women coming forward. Uh, one of them is given a, a cell phone to try to capture some kind of information to incriminate Danny Masterson. So here she goes, the victim of of, of a rape, um, being forced to be the person to do the job because the LABD apparently can't do the job themselves, the job they're hired to do. You're putting a victim who obviously is not comfortable trying to contact this person again, are jumping through hoops to prove their own claim that, that they're a victim of. Uh, I think that's terribly handled. And then you have the fact that this detective that gives her the phone has told her, don't contact anyone but me and this person, because I'm concerned that other members of the police department have been compromised with Scientology. When this, When I read this and I see this, I'm thinking, you have a civic duty. If you think there's compromising uh, situations going on in your police department, you have a duty to go to somewhere higher up, 
you may put your job on the line doing it, but you have a duty to the people you serve and protect. That's what you're sworn to do, to report when there's something nefarious going on within your department. Leah Remini said it to you. She said it to you in a statement. She said, the world is watching. You need to help these people. And with the world watching, yes, your name will go down in the history books, and you got to decide how you want your name to go down. Are you going to go down as the person who dropped the ball and didn't and allowed such nonsense to go on within your police department? Well, there's already tension between civilians and police, which I, I definitely am not for violence against police. I'm a, I'm a friend of the police, but I'm also a friend to the police taking responsibility for their own actions and their own departments and actually you know, taking action to, to show that and demonstrate that. But in the history books, you're either going to go down as the person who dropped the ball or a hero, and I know for me personally how my name is mentioned in the history books sure as hell matters to me. So with all this fallout and all this activity, which is just mind-blowing to me, um, there's a press release that really, again, continues to blow my mind. Uh, so the press release that sent out in defense of Danny Masterson, because he's not here on the show today to speak for himself clearly, and I wouldn't have expected him to, especially with an open investigation with the LAPD. Uh, here's the statement as written by a witness. This is, if I understand this correctly, uh, if I read it correctly at the underground bunker. Written and submitted by a person who is not only the spokesperson, but a friend of Danny Masterson, a Scientologist, and a person who was a witness there that night. So here's the press release. We are aware that the alleged victims, 16-year-old allegations, it was only after the alleged victim was in contact with Leah Remini that she made allegations of sexual assault by Mr. Rape Masterson. Okay, it doesn't say Rape Masterson. Uh, before I continue, let me just say here, this statement here, I am sure in the minds, in the backward-ass minds of the person who wrote this press release and the people uh, in Scientology supporting Danny Masterson, this statement was meant to say, there goes Leah Remini again, being a troublemaker. This is only because Leah Remini has a problem with the church and she's fighting back. But really this sentence, and I'll read it to you again. It was only after the alleged victim was in contact with Leah Remedy that she made allegations of sexual assault by Mr. Masterson. To most people with working brains and brain cells with a little bit of intelligence to themselves can deduce that this sounds a lot more like, I wouldn't have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids, because that's what it sounds like to me. Because it sounds to me, to me somebody who was afraid to speak out or try to speak out and was punished for it, which is really what the story is. Then what would have happened is Larry Remini tried to help. That's all it was. It said, you need to do something about this. That it took Larry Remini to say that means nothing more than it took Larry Remini to say that. Um, the alleged incident occurred in the middle of their six-year relationship, which she continued to be his longtime girlfriend. Significantly, during their long relationship, she made numerous inconsistent claims that she was previously raped by at least three other famous actors and, and musicians. When Dandy ended the relationship, she continued to pursue him, even making threats to beat up his current wife, Bijou Phillips, unless she left him. In fact, we are informed by the church that the only demand the alleged victim made of the church after Danny broke up with her was asking for their help to intervene so the breakup would not be permanent. <laughs> I did a podcast a while back about an abusive relationship. 
about this person's abusive relationship, and something that's really clear. Even when I talked to uh, Rachel Bernstein about the uh, about the link between uh, um, relationship abuse uh, and the abuse of the church, when you're in an abusive relationship, you tend to be in that fix-it phase, and you're trying to make it work, and you become infatuated with the fact that you need to make it work. No matter how much you're being shit on, uh, people get raped in relationships, in marriages, get violated and raped against their will. And stay in those marriages or those relationships and fight for those relationships. It doesn't mean they weren't raped. Like I said, you know, uh, Tony Ortega says, and Mike Rinder said, you can't just walk in there with the FBI and try to take people out of Sea Org because the kids are going to be like, we like it here. Well, a kid, the sister, and says, thank you, ma'am. May I have another? Is still a victim of trafficking. They're not less of a victim because they didn't complain. It just blows my mind how insensitive and how just classically insensitive this is of the people in Scientology who only think of this one way. Because I guarantee you if this was a non-Scientologist, especially an anti-Scientologist accused of raping a Scientologist in that event, it would be a big deal. They wouldn't rest until the person is, 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 is prosecuted to the extent of the law. No way. I guarantee it. But I digress. I go on. We are aware also that approximately 14 years ago, a woman referred to in the blog made allegations of sexual assault that the LAPD interviewed numerous, numerous witnesses and determined the claim had no merit. Based on reading the anti-Scientology blog that posted the story, these false allegations appear to be motivated to boost Lair Remedy's anti-Scientology television series since the alleged victim only came forward after connecting with Lair Remini again. Would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. You see, <laughs> the LAPD apparently uh, supposedly interviewed numerous witnesses and determined the claim had no merit. Let's, see, let's look at that line there. Um, hello, every witness there was a Scientologist. For some reason in Scientology, the the image and how Scientology is seen by the public is so much more important uh, than, than somebody being raped. I've seen this and more. I've heard the story so many times in researching Scientology. It goes beyond anything with this one story. But this seems to be the mentality. If Scientology really cared about people, if they really cared about their own people, they wouldn't see things so much as Scientology versus the world as much as it is individual people being violated by individual people and actually taking care of these things on a case-by-case basis instead of protecting their golden child who's a celebrity face of Scientology. This is the height of hypocrisy, and it's disgusting. Beyond that, furthermore, let's look at this next slide. These false allegations appear to be motivated to boost Leo Remedy's anti-Scientology television series. It's March 10th today. This came out like a week ago. The very last first-run Aaron of Lear Remedy's television series, Scientology in the Aftermath, you can find it on AETV.com, um, was January 17th, and it kicked ass in the ratings. I doubt very much that most of America wakes up in the morning thinking, how can I come up with a story – and falsify tremendously terrible, life-changing, 
career damaging claims against somebody so I can help Lear Revenue's fucking ratings. It's the most ridiculous bullshit I've ever heard in my life. The show ran already. The second season hasn't started filming yet. Are you out of your fucking minds? I digress. Here we are at the end of this in Scientology and the LAPD and Danny Masterson to me, in my opinion, you can choose to agree with me or not, look so much worse than they did before. So much worse than they did before. So look, hey, I doubt it will happen, but I invite Dandy Masterson. You know, D- <laughs> Sir rapes a lot himself, DJ Donkey Punch. I invite Danny Masterson to come on because it's only fair to tell his side and maybe change my mind. But look, typically the queen bee and its workers, the workers don't have any bigger balls than the queen. And the, queen the queen doesn't have balls. In this case, I'm referring to to David Miscavige. So you figure David Miscavige used up the last bit of any testicular fortitude he had in his person in that big mood to become the leader of Scientology. And if he doesn't have the balls to do anything, why would his follower Danny Masterson have, Masterson have any more balls than him? But look, you can either come on my show, otherwise you can kiss my ass. Not that my uh, consent would really matter there. Furthermore, beyond that, any other transitional term I can come up with here, I was a uh, – I admit, and I'm ashamed because it's it's it shouldn't even be paid attention to. I read a little bit of the Stan League site, STAD, as my creator calls it so cleverly because it is the actual acronym. Um, and there's an article. <laughs> Larry Remedy should really find a day job, and, and it made me laugh so hard because here's this person that now I have critics and people who criticize me for doing this show, people who are, are um, apologists for Scientology, basically, and Scientologists will really come after me for doing this show. Uh, but but I ignore them because. They, they don't mean anything. They don't matter to me. But Leo Remedy, for somebody who doesn't matter to Scientology, for somebody who's so washed up and useless to them anymore, they sure talk about her a lot, don't they? They say Leo Remedy should really find a day job when they talk about all these hateful, hate-mongering, anti-Scientologists that are just trying to destroy Scientology and their families by coming on the Leo Remedy show that was so canned. And I wrote a response on Facebook. And, and my sponsor's Facebook was very detailed. I'll post, I'll add it to the little stream that shows the pictures on the bottom. I don't have it on there at the moment. But I wrote a response. And basically, I've had a lot of the same people on my show that Leo Remini's had on hers. But my show's not canned. Same people, same story, same thing. They hit it. First, they hide it because guess what? I look at it. I can still see it. I see there's a comment there. No one else can see it. So they think – and they're infinite wisdom. They think I'm not going to notice this shit. So I took a picture of it to make sure so I can use it. It exists out there. It's on Twitter on uh, Miami Six Man, at Miami Six Man, um, and I'll put it out there on, on the stream here, and it's on my Facebook. Uh, so, so look, <laughs> a lot of bullshit. You're busted. Everybody sees who you are, and it's just a bunch of bullshit. In, meantime, in the meantime, I, I, I failed to come up with a way to end this because I could bitch all day about this. I'm so pissed off, and you should be too. Um, let's, let's just hope the truth comes out, and when it comes out, that the right people are held accountable 
uh, for their actions. In the meantime, here's part one of Mary Khan. All right, today my guests have seen on Leah Remini's show, Scientology, The Aftermath. It was one of the more hard-hitting episodes. Uh, her name is Mary Kahn. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I'm glad to have you on, and, and I really appreciate you coming on, because I know uh, you guys, uh, a lot of you guys over there, I don't know how much you yourself have, but you all speak out now more often than ever before. And as much as you speak publicly, I can imagine it's never really easy to talk about. Uh, sometimes it's easier than others. Right. It depends on the day. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I imagine. I imagine. Now, did you say, uh, I, I was watching it back, and, and when you're on the show, did you say you were in there for 40 years? Right. So so what year was it again that you got in? I don't remember the year. that I should have wrote that down. That's all right. It was 1973. I was 23 years old. Okay, so the only real notable reference to any kind of cult activity in the news and media back then would probably have been Charlie Manson, and that's about it, right? Right, yeah, no, that's correct. <laughs> so you had nothing to really go on? There was, no, no, there was nothing to go on, and there was no internet to go to. I mean, the 70s, I mean, think about it, we had four TV stations, they went off at midnight or two to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, there was no talking heads, no Facebook, no social media of any kind. Uh, it was a completely different culture. Yeah, just just chain letters at the most. Um, <laughs> the, you know, right. another another time spam mail. Um, right. right. When you look at that, uh, 40 years, um, when you first walked in, I'm taken back to right around that same time period, maybe a few years earlier. You know, I read uh, Tony Ortega's book, The Unbreakable Miss Lovely, about Paulette Cooper. And, uh, you know, I remember reading that Paulette walked into a room that was full of people doing different activities the Scientology does that looked really concerning to her. I think she, she mentioned bull baiting uh-huh. and some of the other uh, auditing techniques that were being used that she didn't approve of. Was it a different, more controlled environment you walked into the first time you went in? Uh, what did you say she saw? From what I understand from the description, it was like she walked in and she saw things being said she didn't like, you know, bull baiting activities, things like that. Oh, oh I see. Um, well, I was just at a small mission in Richardson, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. Um, there, it was pretty much filled with, um, young adults. And there were some adult adults, you know, maybe 35, 40. Uh, Betty Felisky, who ran the mission, was probably in her 50s. Um, but for the most part, it was a group of young adults, and it was just a little mission. And I never saw anything that seemed weird to me at that time. Um, you know, I was introduced to the e-meter uh, once I started getting the auditing or the counseling. Um, but it was called life repair, and it was pretty much talk therapy. And, you know, she went over what the e-meter was. And um, I suppose that would, might have been the first introduction to what I can now look at as accepting things that would later bite me in the butt. Right. Um, you know, you don't... It was good then. I mean, it was good. But I don't know if you want me to dive right in here, but if you... Uh, if I, When I look back at some of the rules, for instance, 
when you're getting auditing. The auditor is the one in control, and you learn that pretty early on. Well, that's fine. You know, if you go to a psychotherapist, you let them ask the questions. The expert. Okay. Yeah. Um, you don't ever talk about your case uh, on the outside or what goes on in the session. If you have a grievance, you talk to the proper people inside the mission. Well, that all makes sense when it's running well. But if you want to fast forward to 40 years later or 35 years later, um, when it's not running well, there's no one to go to. Uh, if I had a grievance, and I did, uh, there's nobody that was willing to listen to me and go, oh, okay, let me help you out with that. Let's see if we can get that corrected. It, you know, 35 years later, it was turned against me. Right. So you, in other words, I stepped into that garden, <laughs> 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 and it's later you find out. You know, you're standing in bullshit right. and going, "How did I, how did I get here?" <laughs> um, but that's kind of how it started, and it and it's it. Uh, it made sense to me at first, and, and uh, it was good. I, I really enjoyed my life repair, and I loved the communication course. Bull baiting did not bother me. Um, I, you were brought up bull baiting and uh, Paulette Cooper. Mm-hmm. I never had any kind of bull baiting where it was over-the-top offensive or anybody screaming at me or doing anything um, perverted. It To me, it was what it said it was, which was, you know, in life, you have people, it's kind of the sticks and stones philosophy. Why sure. let words bother you? So that's, to me, what bull baiting was. And um, the communication course for me was very good because I was so shy. I was just extremely shy and introverted, and it really kind of helped me come out. Um, so that was good. It was good. It was a good few years in there. And I can't say that I loved it all, all, the, all everything I did at the mission, but um, I loved the communication course, the first couple of things I did, communication course on the training side of the bridge, and then there's the auditing side of the bridge, which I got life repair. Mm-hmm. Um, now, later I got Dianetics, and that part, I have to say, um, I never really did like Dianetics very much at all. Okay. Well, let me yeah. say, this, uh, it, it sounds good. You know, you walk in, and uh, these people are supposed to be professionals. And, and I, I imagine in your head, without any preconceived notion or any kind of information on this group at all, you're assuming that you're talking to... Uh, almost, even though you'll later be told that, that that they're evil, you're almost talking to a therapist of some sort. Correct. Correct. And it's a therapist that um, you feel like, and I have to say for the most part, most auditors that I had, this was true, even toward the end. Uh, and this was true, that, that this was somebody that was on your side. I mean, this was somebody that was trying to help you. Now, toward the end, um, it was, I felt like, yes, they were uh, on my side, quote, unquote, but now they're doing things 
because they're towing the line, because they have to, because they're on the hot seat. Um, I just saw it become more and more objectionless. You couldn't object. I really do believe that some of my auditors who knew I was going through hell were trying to help me just get through it and maybe they were uh, objecting to it themselves but really couldn't do anything about it. Right. I mean, there's nothing you can do. They're, like you said, it's all very self-contained. Um, if, you, if you bear a grievance, then that grievance just got you in trouble, it sounds like, from most stories right. I've heard. Right, but not in the beginning. Really, not in the beginning. The first, um, I would say, up till... 91, when I finished what's called the Classics Internship, which is on the training side, where I learned to become an auditor and I did an internship, I would say up to that point, um, it's not that I agreed with everything, but if I had a grievance, um, I never once had a grievance where somebody didn't say, let me see what I can do to help, or... um, correct it in a way that seemed good and fair and kind. Um, Then it just got to the point where um, it all became about being out ethics or uh, it came down to if you have a grievance, it's either you have a misunderstood word or symbol, you have a sin, you have a transgression, or you're connected to somebody that's a suppressive, or um, you are a suppressive. It's like you, 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 you. Uh, what did you do? What are you doing wrong? Who are you connected to that's wrong? And it became like that. It was not like that in the beginning. And maybe it's just that I was unaware of it, but I just didn't get it. I didn't get any unkindnesses, I would say, uh, probably to more, when I, oof, when I, route, I oh gosh, I'm going to skip a lot in here, but That's okay. when I say I was in 40 years, yes, I was in 40 years, but I wasn't always on course or always getting auditing. Um, up till 91, I pretty mu- through 91, I pretty much did everything I wanted to do. Then I was married. I had already had a child, and we had another child. And then we moved from California to Florida because of a job opportunity and to raise the family. I really didn't do – I did do courses here and there. Uh, but I would do a course and finish it and then be off for a while. It wasn't like Leah was saying, the two-and-a-half-hour minimum daily, seven days a week. It's no. not that they wouldn't have liked me to do that, but I didn't. Well, let's clarify. So you mean, Were you a public? Yes. Okay, and that makes a difference, I think, in, in the studying time frames, does it not? Right. Because I think Leah was C-Org, yes. so she's probably talking from her experience. Right. 
and I don't know if she if that was enforced on her as when she was just public. Um, but uh, I know they would have liked for us to have been on course seven days a week, but we just weren't. And um, and and I primarily my primary attention was on my two boys and raising my family at that point from 91 to 2005 and that was the big mistake in 2005 when I against even my own desires decided to go ahead and get back on OT7 and that's everything was wrong then how old was Sammy at that point uh, let's see. Well, he was born in 91, so, um, what is that? So, let's, so he would have been 14 or okay. 15. Yeah. Okay, he's not in yet at this point, and that's where you say you made the mistake, because you could have just kept everything out and, and been peaceful. Right. We had introduced our boys to it when they were younger than that, um, Maybe 11, 12, but it was at the local uh, guidance center. Was very, uh, they were kid gloved, and um, you know it was treated real light and and nice, and we kind of made sure they had the best and monitored a lot of it. And as I said in the show. Uh, Sammy took to it and Michael didn't. Michael enjoyed what he got, but then he didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and that was the end of that. Okay, so, so I want to... Sammy... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Well, Sam. Yeah, okay, go on. No, I said you're good. You're good. Okay, well, Sammy also um, continued in the Delphi school. So while that's not... Scientology, um, it's the kids that are there are Scientologists. Mm-hmm. So that's another kind of mistake that you don't see, but I didn't see brewing. And that is kids form their, their fellowships, their friendships, their relationships, and their friends, like all my friends, were Scientologists. So that's another factor in why we lost him, because of his friends. You know, we had a big choice to make in the end. Yeah, I don't mean to backtrack. I want to go back to that area where you're saying it wasn't so bad when you started. Do uh-huh. you, um, You'd have a better gauge on this through your years in Scientology. Um, do you think that all kind of coincided with, the word getting out, like the more people started turning away from Scientology, the harder it became to recruit uh, new members that they became more stringent on what's considered an SP? Um, I think, oh, okay, I got it. I never even knew of anybody that got declared uh, until David Mayo got declared who was the senior CS, and it was a name you heard all the time. And that was in the 80s, I believe. Okay. So here I went from the 70s, and I never even heard 
of anybody that had gotten declared. So, yes. Then there were a few people I knew of that had gotten declared or maybe somebody got declared and then undeclared. And there was a smattering. But toward the end, it was gamebusters. Yeah, that was another even, thing. Yeah. You know, if, if you didn't tell the line, or if you went against David Miscavige, forget it. Yeah, and I think I the mean, experience... I can tell you in, a, in a snapshot why I got declared. Okay. I got declared because I read books that went against what David Miscavige says you should read or know. I watched shows that go against that. I believe that David Miscavige beats people up. And because I was unwilling to go in and do the interrogations, the sex check, and change my mind about that <laughs> and do amends, right, and recant and do amends, I got declared. That's why I got declared. That proves that I'm an evil person. What you say on, on Leah Remedy's show a couple times is if you were speaking your true, if you were speaking your truth, which is a pretty good way to say right. it, then that should never be wrong. Even if David right. Miscavige and Scientology doesn't agree, you're speaking your truth, you're speaking your truth, that should be celebrated and encouraged. But that's not right. how they work in, in, in a cult-like atmosphere. Correct. And when you think about it, here's a philosophy that says, if it's not true for you, it's not true for you, and preaches about speaking and writing and saying your own truth, um, and it's about awareness, personal awareness, and yet they deny you the ability to deductively reason what I did deductively reason for myself and say it's a lie. Well, to me, it screams guilty if, mm -hmm. A, you're being censored, and B, if just because you say some, somebody is a sociopath, that makes you evil. It, it, let's say David Miscavige never hurt anybody. Let's say he's not a sociopath. Mm -hmm. Well, is that how he would handle people that think he is? Right, by enforcing, <laughs> enforcing that he is. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's proved he is by his behavior. Yeah. In my mind. It, it seems yeah. to me like nowadays it is just way too easy. Like, it, it doesn't take much to be declared an SP. And I think maybe you can tell me if you agree with this. I, I think the closer they start to notice a waning interest, just, just a waning interest, not a negative thing against Scientology, just you may stop taking courses, they will find a reason to knowledge report, sex check, and get you out. Does that sound reasonable to you? Well, not reasonable, um, but like a reasonable assumption yes i think it's a nowadays with all the information that's out there nowadays if people stop going into course it becomes a red flag for them and then let's say that person decides to go in on course where they're they're probably um put on a meter and checked and and they're probably watched with a cautionary eye uh they might look for knowledge report um, you know, they might even talk to your friends or your family and ask what's up. Uh, they're definitely more cautionary about anybody that might stop doing courses. 
and they keep an eye on. But I have to say, I have a friend that, uh, well, I'm trying not to say who it is, but anyway. Yeah, don't, don't say the I, name. Yeah, I have a friend that has not been declared that has a child that is on services. And she has come right out and told them that she disagrees with the way the church is operating and that she's done with the church. Hmm. Well, there was a point in time that if you did that, it was an automatic declare. She has not been declared. Um, Now, she also doesn't blog or make comments or do anything else. So she's very quiet about it, disagreement. Um, you know, she's not, there aren't pictures of her with SPs and things like that. Um, so there's a, that part, too, where the church, I see them being very cautionary in not declaring as many people as they used to, as, as they were doing when I was declared, 2013, uh, I, it was gangbusters. No, it was because I, of Leo, probably. Yeah, well, I think, you know, they're, they're going to declare themselves out of existence. Right. You know, <laughs> uh, which is what they're doing, they're going to do anyway. But I think they are cautionary, even with themselves, on who they're declaring. Now, if this person I was talking about showed up at some party with a bunch of SPs and had a picture posted on Facebook, she would probably be declared. There'd be a whisper campaign, and they'd call in her family and friends and make sure they get all them on board with being with the church, and then they would declare. Okay, so that's interesting. That's a whisper campaign, so they basically, they preemptively, so this probably happened to Lori Hodgson, happened to you and Mike and and everybody that got declared. They preemptively get to your family before you do. Right. And that's a big regret of mine because I was trying so hard not to get declared. And even in my own comments, Committee of Evidence, I was, I basically said, listen, if we leave this alone, this will be it for me. I will not talk to my husband about it anymore, my son about it anymore and about my grievances anymore, I'm just done. I'm done. They can do what they want. And they still declared me. Now, they, they could have let it go like that. Um, but they, I forget why I brought that up, but they still declared me at that point. Um, what were we, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, we were talking about the Whisper campaign, how they get to your family members preemptively. Oh, right. Yes, yeah, see, so in the meantime... That's already a predetermined thing, this whole comment. You know, I'm thinking maybe they still won't declare me because I didn't want to lose my son. But they already knew what they were going to do. I think it's predetermined. And from what I've read of different accounts and people that were in the know, that was predetermined. And um, in the meantime, they are talking to my husband, all my friends, my son, and they're making sure all of them are getting on board with them. And they're showing them L. Ron Hubbard references that support their theory that I'm going off the rails, that I am um, probably proving that I am either an SP 
or connected to an SP, which would be called a potential trouble source, PTS. So they're showing them all these references um, that support that theory. And if, like for instance, my son was in doubt and they have him write up his own sins to make sure he's perfectly clean so he can see straight to make a good decision on this, um, well, it's, that's almost predetermined phenomenon because they have, he has people hovering over him, making sure they guide his thought processes into the right area. In other words, the church is always right. Mm-hmm. And if you're off the rails, it, the church is the greatest good, and the person that goes against that greatest good is the one that's going off the rails. It can never be that the church is going off the rails. Okay. So I was toast. I was toast. I was lucky I saved my husband. I was extremely lucky. He seemed, they, your, David, your David seems like a very supportive man. He seems like a good man to stick by you the way he has. Um, and we, as we saw in the show... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yes, that's true, but even for him that was ex- extremely difficult, and it took him a while to to make up his mind. You know, but he was stringing along the church, as it showed in the show. Yeah. Uh, because they were telling him to divorce me. Yep, you just learned that. Okay. Yeah, but it took him a while um, to really kind of come on board. It's hard to explain the mindset, but when it's your rhythm in life and all of your friends and now and and his son, and I'm the only one off the rails. Yeah, it's kind of like oh my god. They stacked it against you. But right now it was hard. it was hard to save my son and and my husband both, but um, I'm lucky that he he came on board and started to go, well, I don't know, this doesn't seem right, what's going on in the church? No, I mean, when he, when he does that, it feels to me uh, from other people I've spoken to as well, um, I've spoken to people on the show and off the show um, about their disconnections, and it seems that, to just as my assessment is that they've already convinced your family member, whether it's a husband or a son or a parent or a daughter, that that they are already convinced that who the person leaving the church has deserted them, that they made this decision that they'd rather speak out against Scientology than be that family member. Right. They do that. Right. That's the way. That's the way they make it seem. And even as much as I tried and have tried in different ways to communicate to my son that it's not about the religion. I don't care what you believe or not believe. It's about the abuses. Period. Period. I said to my son at one point, if I got ten people over here to our house to talk to you about things that happened to them that were abusive in the church, are you willing to listen? And he looked like a deer in the headlights. Somebody he tell me what to do. He, <laughs> pardon me? It's, it's like he wants somebody in the church to tell him what he should do. He, you could see the machinations in yeah. his head almost. You don't have to hear it. Because what it means, it's immediately, if you do this, it means that. If you do this, it means that. And, and 
he just said no. But it was a pregnant pause. Yeah. And the fact that he said no says everything you need to know. That's a guy in a cult. That's You're not allowed to hear other views. Who is being controlled. You can't, I know for a fact that Sammy is a good person. I and I that. know for a fact that he would hate it if he ever saw people being beaten up or held against their will. But he refused to find out. He won't let his mind go there. That That is... Uh... That is what they do. I mean, when I, when I look at these videos, uh, he did that POW style video of you, uh, for you, or, or about you, rather. Um, I saw the video. I saw the video. And I saw the video of Mike's kids. And I saw the video oh, yeah. of, um, I saw the video of Lori's kids. And oh it's almost the same script, uh, really. It's, it's always, you chose to criticize the cult over having a relationship with me. It's all your fault. You right. caused this. That's your catch-22. That's your catch-22 right. because I look at that, and um, that was the point in which you had a um, you had a moment on the show where you broke down, and uh, Mike Rinder followed closely in suit. Um, right. The re the thing that's interesting about that is, you know, a lot of times, and I mentioned this with Aaron. Uh, I have an interview with Aaron that, that aired. Uh, by the time this aired, it aired a couple weeks ago. But um, uh-huh. the thing I talked about was the... Uh, how people try to claim that the Lair Remedy show is scripted and fixed and set up. Um, there's there's no scripting people's lives. And the thing that I noticed was um, what really stands out, I think, to most people is not just how broken up you are, but how quickly and, and how far uh, Mike Rinder broke down. Um, the thing with Mike is uh, I think if you watch that in real time, you don't see it coming. Um, if you watch it back, those clips of the camera, did you guys shoot that all in one shot, that, that conversation? Before, before Leah yes. said stop? Okay. I figured as much. Yes. I'm glad that's, I'm glad that's the truth for that. Because if you watch, yes. Mike is trembling. The few clips before we get to that point, and Mike just finally loses it. And, and, this, and you can see it coming if you're watching it back. And the thing about it is Mike understands more than just most people, um, right. what you're feeling because he experienced that. Um, Mike had a tough decision to make, like most people who left Scientology, and that was, you know, do I stay here and we all suffer, or do I get out and try to get my family out, you know, once I get out? Right. And you become the bad guy. You become the enemy, but you're not. But right. you're not. And uh, But you know, at some level, it's twofold, I think. After talk, I talked to Lori off the record a little bit earlier uh, this week, but it seems like I'm talking to Lori that, you're, it's twofold. Your kids want to be with you. They want to be your kids. Your family members want to be your family. But at the same time, they feel like you don't. And they've been convinced of that. And right. and But because of the policies in place and the way that they do things and indoctrinate within Scientology, it, it's a catch-22. And it's it's something that needs to be broken. And, cl- and clearly, right. uh, there's a problem here. There's, a dis- there's definitely a disconnect beyond the disconnection as far as um, what's happening and what's perceived to be happening on the side of the people still in. Right, right. I mean, Sammy uh, begged and pleaded with me. And 
this was filmed, but it, they didn't put it in the show, where I told of one of the last times I was with Sammy, and he was sitting next to me on the couch, and my husband was sitting in the chair to my right and Sammy to my left, and Sammy was sobbing, sobbing and crying, Mom, please go in. Please, I would do anything to save this family. Why can't you go in? And I went, Sammy, I just can't. I just can't. And I said, but also, Sam, I would never disconnect from you. So you're saying you could do, you would do anything to save this family, except you're willing to disconnect. I can't go in. But I would never disconnect from you, ever. And at one point he even said to me, you're trying to prevent me from doing Scientology. I'm trying to prevent him. His mind is so wrapped around the cult mindset. It's not what the church is posing to him. You either disconnect from your mother or you can no longer do Scientology and have your friends. It's me. He's saying it's me preventing him from doing Scientology by not going in. Yeah, and that's the thing, though, is because it's interesting because you, um, I imagine you at some point told him, even though you probably didn't want him to stay, you probably told him, go ahead and be a Scientologist and study. I don't care. Right. But you also know what happens. Right. That would have been a lie for me because Mm -hmm. once I found out about the abuses, about the physical assaults, I don't David Miscavige needs to be removed, period. Nobody should be supporting this guy. Right. And, but, I do have to admit, I would have been willing to just keep my mouth shut and let my son do what he wants to do if I could save my son. Right. It's it's a lie, but I would have been willing to do that. That's an easier lie than lying about lying to yourself and, and committing to something you can't commit to anymore after forty years. I just couldn't do yeah. it. I couldn't do it. It was it was so traumatic for me and horrible. Well, th- th- now what happens is now when you say, okay, I don't care if you leave Scientology, just still be my son. Well, once that happens, Scientology makes him an SP just for having a relationship with you. Right. And it doesn't matter what he says, what he commits to the church. Um, right. Unless you go in and do these ADE steps, which I guess is almost like, isn't it like, almost like uh, being barraged with questions and being like really almost tortured to the point to where they know that you are ready to come back? Well, A&E, let's, let's take the first step. We can't. Just the first step alone. You have to recant. That, to me, is, excuse the term, but it's spiritual sodomizing. It is. How can you recant what you believe? And then they make you do amends. And you have to do all, post these things that talk about how great David Miscavige is. You can't do that. Turning my soul inside out. And you have to get interrogated and sex-checked again on all your sins and crimes. 
it's just awful. It's mentally torturous. Well, I was about to say, there are things uh, that our U.S. government's not allowed to do to known murdering terrorists that probably aren't as bad as some of the things they put you guys through in Scientology, if you're in trouble. You, you are absolutely correct. The CIA has got nothing on the Church of Scientology. And they're still allowed to get away with it. And, uh, I mean, go ahead. It's a religion. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's a religion. And that's the most unfortunate thing that ever happened. Now, this blows my mind. Not, not that they're a religion. That blows my mind, too. But what blows my mind is the idea that because they're a religion, that they're untouchable. It's not a golden ticket. Nothing's ever supposed to be a golden ticket to, to overstep the bounds of the rule that allows you to do the things you do. You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, being right. a police officer doesn't entitle even though they do it, <laughs> being a police officer doesn't entitle you to speeding and running red lights when there's nothing going on. Um, right. Another officer or, just might pull you over. Right. Or being a police officer doesn't give you carte blanche to beat up anybody you want. Absolutely correct. You know, um, this is why I firmly believe, it, because the First Amendment now becomes tricky, and I do believe in the First Amendment, but I think the Church of Scientology has taken the good faith intent of the First Amendment and turned it on its head. But I do believe that government officials, Congress could, not that they have the guts right. or the cojones to do it, but this is an easy one, and this is this. If you from if part of your tenets as a religion is shunning or disconnection, I don't think you should be allowed 501c3 status. Call yourself a religion if you want, but you should not be allowed 501c3 status because it's too open for abuses. Yeah, there needs to be provisions. I mean, if you look at it um, from the from the prospect of a married couple with an abusive spouse, um, there are mental abuses that take place that. I believe, I'm not really big on the law, but I believe are actionable because your spouse put you in a spot where you wouldn't complain, you wouldn't go to the police, and you might not have always been happy, but you acted happy, whatever. It it feels to me even the happiest of Scientologists are in some way being mentally abused. Right. Well, look look at my son. He's probably a quote-unquote happy guy with a job and his and his friends, but look at what's happening. He's lost his whole family. Somewhere in his life, that's a void and a big loss because he's not tuned into how important family and love is. He's gone the other way with his mind. He's becoming more and more that compassionless Scientologist. And he's insulated his heart, I'm sure, so he doesn't feel the loss of me or his brother or his father. And I think there's now, a... It, it's, a culture, it's a cult mindset, but that's harmful. Yes. 
Yes, and we will actually continue this conversation next Friday right here on Come Get Some Extra with Mary Khan Part 2. Uh, we get more into her later years, her final uh, her final stand in Scientology, as well as uh, probably one of the most um, fun 10 questions I've done since starting uh, uh, Come Get Some over a year ago. Uh, a lot of laughs with Mary Khan. Uh, great lady. Really enjoyed this. I hope you do too. Uh, of course, next Thursday, I will have Adam Gifford Part 2. We'll be talking about um, – we actually talk about Scientology on Thursday with Adam Gifford. We talk about uh, his own experiences with the LAPD uh, back in the 90s, and if any of that's uh, really um, a, a precursor for what we're seeing today. Um, but uh, again, next Friday, back with Mary Kahn and 10 questions. Uh, you guys have a great week. Uh, make sure you follow, subscribe, comment. If you have something you want to say about this show, don't be shy to say it in any of the forums available. Uh, stay connected. That about sums it up. Have a great week, everybody. All the spot analysis. Am I crazy? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Are we on a podcast? Yeah. I think I'm gonna come get some. If you want some, come. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get some. My favorite, though. Am I? You're my favorite. Oh, thank you so much. I I do not. You put me on the e-meter and ask me a question, and the needle would float.